just as it was God's desire to restore the Israelites physically and spiritually, it is God's desire to restore, revive and resurrect areas in our lives that are like dead bones, in a state of hopelessness, despair and seemingly beyond repair. Let us learn to partner and cooperate with God in this restoration process. Be blessed as you listen to this message. Well, I'm not going to preach this morning to you. I'm just going to share what God ministered to me a couple of weeks back from Ezekiel chapter 37 verses 1 to 14. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 37 verses 1 to 14. Ezekiel is a book in the Old Testament. It comes after Lamentations. So you have Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, and then Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 to 14. We will be looking at three other passages, uh, one in Ezekiel chapter 1, the other in Isaiah chapter 6, and the last one in Numbers chapter 14. So if you can turn to that as well and maybe put a, a bookmark or a small strip of paper, you know, it'll be useful for you to look at it when we, we go, through our, go through my sermon or what I share this morning. Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 to 14. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and the tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. And they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, O my people. I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. We live in a fast-changing world where technology, fashion, prices of commodities, and currencies changes every other day. 
Not only is there an advancement in technology, but we also see a decay in social, moral, and ethical values. Living in this fast-changing world demands that we keep up with its pace. And most often, we manage to keep up with the pace. But the test comes when we face various challenges. When we or our loved ones are diagnosed with a sickness, or when we lose our loved ones, when we lose our job, when we're struggling with a difficult boss or a spouse or a colleague or a friend, maybe demands at the workplace, unfulfilled dreams and desires, we can keep adding to the list. But when we face these challenges, discouragement, hopelessness, depression, suicide, feelings of suicide sets in. And we sometimes find ourselves at the point of a virtual standstill. The world around us keeps moving at the same pace, but our small little world comes to a standstill. We begin to wonder, is God angry with me? Is he punishing me for some sin I have committed? Does God really love me? Will my joy be restored? Will my health be restored? Will my situation at the workplace or my finances be restored? The Israelites who were exiled to Assyria and Babylon found themselves in a situation of frustration and disappointment. They were looking forward for a time when they will be experiencing freedom, a time when they will be restored back to their homeland, Judah and Israel. Now, why were the Israelites who were God's covenant people, who had God's protection and had God's covering over them, why did God you know, be, uh, allow them to be exiled or be taken as captives to Babylon? It was because the Israelites had taken God for granted. They assumed that God's covenant, which he made with their forefathers, was irrevocable, was final. They thought that the ownership of the land, the land of Israel, was permanent. And they were immune to any foreign captivity as long as God was in their midst because of the temple in Jerusalem. But in 597 BC, to their utter shock, King Jehoiakim, king of Israel, surrendered Jerusalem to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And Israel was exiled to live in Babylon. The Israelites thought, how could this happen? Is our God important before the Babylonian gods? Has he forgotten us? Why has he abandoned us? They were angry. They became disillusioned, cynical and bitter. Now Ezekiel was one among the exiles. He was then in his mid-twenties. He was born in a priestly family. And he was training to be a priest. He was looking forward for the time when he would go and serve in the temple at Jerusalem. But here among the exiles by the river Kebar in Babylon meant an end of all his dreams and hopes. Five years later, when Ezekiel was 30 years old, when he was living with the exiles by the Kebar River in Babylon, God called him into service as a prophet. And God asked Ezekiel to deliver his message to the Israelites, who he calls a stubborn, rebellious, and obstinate nation. The message that God gives Ezekiel is twofold. One is a message of judgment, 
and the other one is a message of restoration and hope. For the first seven years, Ezekiel relayed to the Jews faithfully the stern, heart-rendering, hope-crushing word of divine judgment. That because of Israel's idolatry and all their sins, Jerusalem will be destroyed and the temple will also be destroyed and plundered. Now, during these seven years, when Ezekiel was uh, uh, relaying the message that God had given him about judgment, God informed Ezekiel that Jerusalem will soon be destroyed and plundered, and the, and the temple will also be plundered and destroyed. And God tells him that he will take away from him the delight of his eyes, that is his beloved wife. And God tells him with one blow, I will take away the delight of your eyes, your beloved wife. And he asks Ezekiel not to weep, moan, or shed even a tear for her. As a sign that God is going to destroy the temple of Jerusalem, which is the delight of Israel's eyes, and they are not to weep, moan or shed a tear for the temple. Now, only after the city and the temple of Jerusalem was destroyed, that is 11 years after Ezekiel was, was taken as captive into uh, Babylon, did Nebuchadnezzar lay a siege on Jerusalem and he plundered the city and the temple and destroyed the city and burnt the temple. Now, after this, after the city was, and the temple was both destroyed and plundered, Ezekiel began to stress God's intention to resurrect and restore the faithful ones back to Israel, back to worship that will come from their hearts, and that he will be their God and they will be his people. Now, in spite of Israel's sin, in spite of Israel's unfaithfulness, in spite of Israel forsaking God, yet God was faithful to the covenant and the promise that he had made to Abraham. His, his desire to save Israel was so great that he was willing to restore her back to her own land. Not only restore Israel back to her own land, but also to shepherd her with compassion, to cleanse her defilement to reconstitute, reconstitute Israel as a perfect expression of his kingdom and crush and destroy all the enemies that were arrayed against Israel, to display his glory among the nations and restore the glory of his presence in the holy city, Jerusalem. Just as it was God's desire to restore the Israelites, it's God's desire to restore those of you who are broken, depressed, weary, and for those of you who come to a point in life where you think of giving up. Are there areas in your life that seems like dead bones, that are in a state of hopelessness, despair, and beyond repair? But this morning, God wants to give us hope and encouragement. He wants to restore, revive, resurrect the dead bones in our lives. Amen? Note, I said that God wants to revive, resurrect, and restore the dead bones in our lives. God wants to do it. We don't have to force God or, you know, beg or plead. But God wants to restore, resurrect, 
and revive the dead bones in our lives. But we must partner and cooperate with God to see the dead bones in our lives resurrected. I repeat that again. God wants to restore, resurrect, and revive those areas, those problems in your lives that seems like dead bones. But the restoration process will be only complete when we partner and cooperate with him in the restoration. There are three things that we can learn from Ezekiel, from how he partnered with God in his and Israel's restoration process. If we have time, we will look at all the three, or maybe we'll look at the first two. And we can learn how Ezekiel partnered with God in his and Israel's restoration process. The first thing, Ezekiel saw the glory, the greatness, and the power of God. As I mentioned earlier, that when Ezekiel was 30 years old, five years after he was exiled into Babylon, God calls him to do a, into service as a prophet. And before God calls him to do service as a prophet, he sees a vision. And the vision is recorded for us in chapter 1. If you can turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 1. And in verse 4 onwards, Ezekiel says that he sees an immense cloud and flashing lightning surrounded by brilliant light and a fire. In the center of the fire, he sees four living creatures. And the space above the living creatures, he sees what looks like a throne made of sapphire. And high above the throne, he sees a figure of a man. It looked as if he was full of fire. There was brilliant light that surrounded him, and there was a radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. What Ezekiel sees is not just the glory of God, but he sees the likeness of God. He sees the likeness of the glory of God. Just seeing the likeness of the glory of God, he was so overwhelmed by it. He was so stunned that he falls on his face. And then he hears a voice. If you look at Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 23, and a voice uh, says to him, uh, Son of man, I'm sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. Ezekiel saw God in all his awesome glory and majesty. Hey, if you read uh, this passage, you will understand that, you know, Ezekiel was not able to uh, understand all the details of what he saw. But he knew that he had seen the glory of God and that was bigger than he, something that he could possibly grasp in his small mind. And against this dazzling, brilliant glory of God that he sees, God reveals to him the sin of his people. God reveals to him the sin of the Israelites. When Ezekiel sees the sin of Israel, we see in chapter 3, verse 14, he says, he went in bitterness and in anger in his spirit of how Israel had treated God. And then he understood why God had allowed the Babylonians to come and defeat the Israelites. Then he understood why God had allowed them to be taken as captives to Babylon. Then he understood why God was going to allow Nebuchadnezzar to destroy and plunder not only the city of Jerusalem, but also the temple. The rest of Ezekiel's life was colored by this vision that he sees. The prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, 
has a similar vision. If you turn with, to me, with me to Isaiah chapter 6, now we see that Isaiah has a vision of God. And God shows him his vision and his glory. We see here that in this vision, God, Isaiah sees God high and lifted up and exalted. He sees the holiness of God. And the light of his holiness, he's able to see this, his own sinfulness and the sin of his people. And so he cries out in verse 5, he says, Woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. So when Isaiah just sees this, uh, this glory of God, he sees the holiness of God, he sees his sinfulness and the sin of his own people, and he cries out, Woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Notice the words, saw the Lord. You know, Isaiah, in that passage in, in, in Isaiah chapter 6, it says, when Isaiah saw the Lord. When Isaiah saw the Lord, his eyes were opened to seeing the real king of the nations. He was ushered into seeing the king of kings. He was ushered into seeing the king who ruled the nations. He was ushered into seeing God seated on a throne that was high and exalted, far above all power and all dominion. He was ushered into seeing the king of Israel still rules and still seated on the throne. Now, when, when Isaiah, before Isaiah sees this vision... It says, the year that King Uzziah died, the King Uzziah reigned in Israel for 50 long years. And when he died, it left Isaiah shocked in despair and in hopelessness. You know, Isaiah's world was in a whole big confusion. The king was dead, the nation was in a peril, and he could do nothing to change it. But when he sees the Lord high and exalted, when he sees God's throne high and God's reigning, he realizes and he's ushered into seeing that the king of Israel, his throne is still high and exalted, far above all power, all dominion. He's ushered into seeing that God is still on the throne, that the God who owns and rules Israel is still seated on the throne, is still in control. And when Isaiah sees this vision, his situation of hopelessness is turned to a, situa to a situation of hope. And then he sees God's holiness and he realizes that God is still in control. He doesn't have to worry. He finds an answer for his situation. And he finds hope in his hopeless situation. When both Ezekiel and Isaiah see the vision of God, their situation is changed from hopelessness to hope. They receive an answer to their problem. And not only do they receive an answer to their, to their problem, but they also see their, their own sinfulness and the sinfulness of the people in the light of God's glory and holiness. But in co contrast to these two people, when they see the glory of God, it, it entirely changed. It colored the rest of their lives. We can see... Ten men of Israel who saw the glory of God, who saw the power of God, who saw the miraculous deeds and the work of God, but still they failed to put their trust in God. And this is the incident that I'm talking about from Numbers chapter 14. Now the Israelites had come out of Egypt, they were camped in the desert, and God tells Moses, Moses 
sent 12 spies to spy the land of Canaan. And they go into Canaan and they spy the land for 40 days. And they come back and they give a report to Moses. They say, yes, Moses, you know, the land is prosperous, it's rich, it's fertile. But the people living in the land, the Canaanites, the Annex, they are like giants. And we can't go and fight them because we will surely be killed by them. And these 10 men, 12 men went, but 10 of them went and spread a bad report to the whole Israelite community. And all the Israelites started mourning and grumbling against Moses. And God was very grieved. But when Caleb heard what these 10 spies had to say, now look at his, uh, uh, his uh, reply that he gives in Numbers chapter 14 verse 9. He says, only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Look at the response that Caleb and Joshua had compared to these 10 men. All the 12 spies you know, saw the Anax who, who were like giants living in the land of Canaan. But 10 of them said that we will be killed by them. But two of them said that we can go and God will give us the land of Canaan. Now, what was the difference? You know, Caleb and Joshua, they saw the giants, but they saw that God was greater than their giants. Amen? They saw that their God was more powerful than the giants. They believed that when God can bring them out of Egypt... God has the power to take them into the land of Canaan. They believed that when God, you know, kept his promise, when he said, I will bring you out of slavery, out of Egypt, God, when he promised that he would take them to the land of Canaan, he would surely keep his promise. Caleb knew that God, who had shown his miraculous works and deeds and power, will yet again show his miraculous works and deeds and power by taking them into Canaan. Look at the difference. And this is what we need to learn. This is how we need to think when we face our giants, when we face our situations that seem like dead bones. You know, one professor, when he was teaching his class, he wrote this on, this, he wrote this on the blackboard. I think that's on your wall. And he asked his students to tell him what they saw. What, did you, what do you see there? God is? God is now here? Did anyone see God is nowhere? Okay. I saw one hand raising, being very honest. Okay. Majority of, his majority of his students saw God is nowhere. But few of his students saw that God is now here. You see, it all depends what you're looking for as to what you see. I'll repeat that again. It all depends what you're looking for as to what you see. Like Peter, the whole time he was focused on Jesus, his eyes were on Jesus, he was able to walk on the was he able to walk on the water? But the minute or the second he took his eyes off Jesus, he began to sink. The minute he saw the, the, the waves that were giant size, the minute he saw the storm and the darkness, he began to sink. 
when you're in a conflict or struggling, looking at your giants or your situations that look like dead bones, it's hard to see God sometimes. But at those times, it's important to see the presence, the power, and the glory and the greatness of God. Amen? At those times, it's important for us to see the presence, the power, and the promises of God. Now, how can we see and experience God's presence, His power, when we face challenges? It's very simple. Now, when you are living in God's presence, you will automatically be able to see God's presence, His power, His glory, His promises when you face those dead bones, when you face those giants. You see, everything changed for Ezekiel, Isaiah, and Caleb because they saw the glory of God, because they saw the power of God, because they saw the miraculous works of God. It was as if, you know, the glorious presence and the power of God colored the rest of their lives. By seeing the glory of God, they were taken from an experience of isolation, frustration, and hopelessness to a situation of confidence, joy, and hope in God. It was not that they did not face challenges after they saw the glory of God. It was not that they did not face any struggles or, you know, dead bones in their lives. They did. If you read the book of Ezekiel, which I would encourage all of you to go back and read, you would see that Ezekiel does face a lot of challenges after he sees a vision of God and after God calls him into a service as a prophet. Imagine speaking words of judgment for seven long years. All you're speaking is judgment and judgment and judgment. I know the hostility that he would receive from his fellow Israelites. I'm sure they would be fed up. They would be running away from Ezekiel. Now imagine when God tells him with one blow, I'm going to take away the desire of your eyes, your beloved wife, and you're not to weep, moan, or shed a tear for her. And to top it all off, God asked him not only to prophesy those, those words or messages of judgment, but God also tells him to enact them. And some of those things that, that Ezekiel had to enact was really so funny that, you know, people would have looked at Ezekiel and thought he was out of his mind. He was really mad. It was difficult for him. But how was Ezekiel able to overcome these giants, these challenges? How was he able to serve God with joy in spite of his loneliness, in spite of, you know, um, the moments of grief, in spite of God asking him to do strange things? Because he was not overwhelmed by his situation, because he was not overwhelmed by his problems, because he was so overwhelmed with the presence of God. You know, the, the, the presence of God was so overwhelming in his life that nothing he was going through was going to drown him or pull him down because he was living in the presence of God. When you and I are people who are living in and are conscious of God's presence in our lives, we will not be overwhelmed with the challenges that we face because we know that we have God's strength, support, and help. We will not feel drained of our energy, but we will experience his supernatural energy or his supernatural strength that energizes us when we go through struggles and difficulties. We will not feel frustrated and depressed and hopeless and suicidal because we will experience his hope, his encouragement, his joy, his peace, and his love. Remember the fruits of the Spirit? That's what you will experience when you're living in God's presence. Amen? 
The problem will not leave you feeling bitter and angry like those ten spies. It will not leave you grumbling like those ten spies, saying, God, what is happening to me? Why is all this happening only to me? See, and angry with people around, blaming people around you. But you will experience his joy and his confidence at that, at that time because you are not living and you're not facing your challenges, your dead bones, your situation in your own strength, in your own carnal nature, but you're living in the presence of God and you're, and you're facing it with the Holy Spirit. Our problems will not leave us feeling bitter and angry, but will transform us into Christ-likeness. Now, that's what God wants to do every time we face our dead bones, that situations that look like dead bones, every time we face our giants. Now, God wants to transform us into his Christ-likeness. That's why it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, Paul says, not only so, but we will glory in our sufferings because we know that our sufferings produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. See, God is not just interested in solving your problems. God is just not interested in resurrecting and restoring those dead bones. God is not just, uh, you know, uh, there to just take you away from everything that is pulling you down. But God is going to keep you in that midst and transform you into his Christ-likeness, into his holiness. Now, God is not interested in your problems. Well, he is as much as he's interested in you and I as individuals. In as much as he is interested in restoring us to his likeness and his holiness. That's why he says in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 7, where God says, you know, he will um, make us without spot or blemish or wrinkle so that, he can produce, so that he can present us without fault or blemish and blameless before the most high God. Amen? So how do we overcome your situations of hopelessness is only when you live in the presence of God. The second one is make it your desire and the cry of your heart to see the glory of God. Well, it's not God's desire to show his glory only to the Israelites or only to Ezekiel or to Isaiah or a few of them. But it's God's, it's God's uh, uh, desire to show you his glory. But he will show you his glory only when you desire it. Only when you make it your heart's cry. So if you want to experience the glory of God, when you want to live in his glorious presence, it will come only when you desire it, when you ask of God. And he will surely give it to you. And he will surely, you know, help you to see his manifest glory. The third one is how you can experience God's presence, his power, when you face challenges, is when you read God's word. God's word reveals his glory. God's word reveals his power. And God's words reveals his miraculous works that he has performed. So when you face challenges when, and you have read God's word, you will be reminded of situations when God has worked on the behalf of his people, when God has worked on behalf of the Israelites, when God has worked on behalf of few, few people who are in that similar situations. And you can put your trust and faith in God and claim it and you will surely see the results. Now, when we go through problems and difficulties, we spend so much of time reading books like How to Overcome Depression, How to, you know, Win Over Anxiety and Worry, How to Keep Your Spouse on Your Side, 
you know, all these principles are actually taken from God's word. And when you read those books, those books are just principles that you have to work out in your own strength. But when you read God's word, you know, when you meditate on it daily, when you feed on God's word, see, it's not just words of principles, but this is life. Amen? And this is the power of God. And you don't have to work it out in your own strength, but the word of God transforms your life because this is life and this is power. See, this word in this book has encouraged me, has guided me, has counseled me, has strengthened me, has given me hope. I don't want to boast saying this, but you know, I've never been to a counselor or to a mentor, but I've gone through, you know, real struggles in life. And when I go through those struggles, I don't run to people. I don't run to counselors. And I'm not saying those of you who do are weak. I'm not saying that. Please do. But what I'm saying is that this book has counseled me. This book has strengthened me. This book has given me hope. This book has been my guide. This book has been a lamp to my feet and light to my path. And this book has also corrected me, has also rebuked me, has also trained me in his righteousness and his holiness. So when you read God's word, the seeds of faith in your life began, begin to be activated. When you meditate on it, you will see God's power and his glory. And when you go through those struggles, you will remember those incidents and you will begin to act, and those seeds of faith that are activated will begin to work. For example, you know, those of you who are in college and in school, you know, maybe your uh, giants that you face are some subjects. Or maybe exams, maybe your giant. For some of you, it may be your teachers as well, you know, who are like giants. And you say, God, you know, I'm like this David, small and puny, and I don't have strength to fight this giant. But just like David fought this giant in the strength of the Lord, the God of Israel, I'm going to overcome this giant in my life with your strength. Amen? For those of you, your giants may be, you know, fear or addictions or bad habits, some things that you're struggling with. For some of us, it might be even our spouse. I'm just joking. See? Don't say, God, you know, make me like David where once one shot and my that person is down, bang, dead. Well, that's a wrong interpretation of scripture. I think pastor spoke that last week. Right, pastor? Don't do that. See? But, you know, habits or struggles or difficulties that you face. And say, God, you know, fear, loneliness. Feelings of, you know, suicidal, you're suicidal in nature, depression, constantly being depressed are your giants. Say, God, I cannot overcome this giant in my own strength, but you are going to help me just like you helped David. Amen? For some of you who are, you know, struggling with finances, some of you who are waiting on God for open doors, you can say, God, just like you rained down manna and quail, just like you brought out water from that rock in the desert, I'm sure you're going to provide for this need in my life. See, the minute you say that, you know, don't think God is going to be angry with you and say, how dare you speak to me like that. You know, God wants his children to exercise their authority, but in humility. And when God sees your confidence, God will work on behalf of you. And when you, when you speak out those things, you know, you will see your your, your giants coming down. 
You will see your problems solved. You will see your dead bones resurrected and restored. Your seeds of faith and trust in God will be activated. See? So read God's word. Meditate on it. And be careful to do what is written in it. Secondly, how Ezekiel partnered with God in his and Israel's restoration process. Ezekiel spoke the word. Now, if you look at the passage that we read earlier in Ezekiel chapter 37, Ezekiel chapter 37 that we read in the beginning, in verse 7, Ezekiel says, So I prophesied as I was commanded. Ezekiel only prophesied what God had commanded him, what God had asked him to do or say. And says, Ezekiel says that as he was prophesying, there was action. As Ezekiel was prophesying, there was action. There was noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together. And we can read on. But as he was prophesying, there was action. Listen to this. It's important what you declare and speak over your life and your difficult situations. Because as you are speaking, things are working for you or against you, depending upon what you confess or speak with your mouth. I'll repeat that again. It's important what you declare over your life and over your situation. Because as you are speaking, things are working for you or against you, depending on what you confess or speak with your mouth. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. So if you are facing a situation that is difficult, facing a giant, facing a situation that seems like dead bones, and you speak life into it, then all you're going to see is life. All you're going to see is wholeness. All you're going to see is healing. All you're going to see is restoration and resurrection of those dead bones. And you're going to see positive results. Amen? It's important what you speak and declare over your life. Like the example of the, of the 12 spies who spy the land of Canaan. The 10 spies, you know, when, they, when they, uh, they started grumbling and they told Moses, it was better for us, Moses, to die in Egypt or to die here in the desert than to be killed by those giants. And you know, when God heard their grumbling and murmuring, in Numbers 14, verses 28 to 30, we read, God says, I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, tells Moses to tell them, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. God says, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. And what was the very thing that God heard them say? They said it was better for them to fall in the wilderness. And this was their punishment. God said, all of you will live in the desert for 40 years and you will die in the desert. But those of them who are 20 years and below and Joshua and Caleb, because they put their faith and trust in God, will go to the promised land 40 years later. As for those 10 spies, God sent a plague and struck them down dead. God said, I will do to you the very things that I heard you say. God did exactly to the Israelites what they declared with their mouths. This was not God's plan for them. This was not what God had declared or decreed for them. But because they had declared it, God decreed it over their lives. Even when we pray, 
Our words have the power to touch the heart of God. So be careful what you say. Or pray big prayers because your words have the power to touch the heart of God. Our words not only have the power to touch the heart of God, but our words have the power to affect us as we say them and hear them. So even when you're saying the prayer, it affects you. So if you're saying, God, I know what to do. I feel so hopeless. You feel so, I feel so depressed. That's what you feel. Because your words affect you and I as we say them and hear them. In Psalm 31, the writer is lamenting and mourning about his situation. He's under an attack of words of those around him. And he says, I have heard the slander of many, and fear was on every side. Just as it looks like, you know, the writer is going to fall, he writes, but I trust in you, O Lord. I said, you are my God. He doesn't just write it, but he tells us he said it. He vocalizes it, and he hears him saying out loud, you are my God. And those words change things for the psalmist. He goes on from falling to standing, and he goes on to encouraging all of us as we read that psalm. Because in the last verse, he says, Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all he that hope in the Lord. With our words, we can, we can talk ourselves into depression, or we can talk ourselves out of depression. We can talk ourselves into a healthy marriage. We can talk ourselves into failure, or we can speak and remind us of words that talks about God's divine plan and purpose over his life, over his, over his plans and his purposes and his will in our lives. In the beginning of 2012, I attended a seminar. I think uh, some of you here also attended that seminar. And the man of God who was ministering to us shared this incident from his own life. You know, his mother had a couple of miscarriages. And one day she had a heavenly visitation and the angel told her that she will give birth to a son and also told her what she has to call him and said he will be great and he will go to the nations and he will, and he will preach the gospel. So just like the angel said, this lady conceived and gave birth to a son. And after her delivery, she came back home. Her son, you know, um, uh, developed an infection in his stomach or in intestine. I'm not very sure. But he had to be rushed to the hospital. The doctors did everything to save him, but he died. And when the doctor said that, you know, your son told uh, his mother that your son is dead, she said, God... You're not, you're not a God who lies. You're not a God who does not keep his promises. You're a God who keeps his promises. You said, I will have a son, and I did. You said that he will go to the nations, and he will preach your word, but he, before he could even walk, his life is snuffed out. And you know what God did? God resurrected him back to life. And even today, he's an old man now with gray hair, he still goes to nations and preaches the gospel. I don't know if he would be alive if his mother would not have spoken the promise or the prophecy that God had given her. Now, the prophecies that you have received are not for you to just journal it, but for you to speak and declare and confess it over your life till you see it happen. Don't stop. 
But till you see it happen, confess it and declare it over your life. God's word is not just to be kept here in print, you know, to carry it when we go to a Bible study or when we come to church. But God's word is for us to declare it with our mouths. You know, most mornings when I wake up, you know, I, I feel very um, weak, fatigue. You know, I lack any energy. Say, God, I have so much to do. I have to go to so many schools, you know, teach. There's so many things that I need to do. And I'm feeling so tired. And I, then, I began, then I begin speaking out God's word. Psalm 68, 35. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. Psalm 29, 11. The Lord gives strength to his people and blesses his people with peace. In Colossians chapter 1, 20, verse 29, where Paul says, To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy that works so powerfully in my life. The last few years, now I've been facing a health problem and I've been declaring Psalm 73, 26 over my life, over my health problem. And every day I say this, the Lord is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And what makes me run, what gives me the energy, what gives me the strength, the strength to do all these things is because I speak God's words over my life, over my situation. You know, I wake up and I begin doing my work, and I feel so energized and strengthened. Not because, you know, I just feel that boost suddenly, but it's because God's, working is give, God's word is giving me that power and that strength. For those of you who feel, you know, uh, you know times when I feel that uh, I lack something in life, or there's something that I need, and God is not giving it to me, I remind myself of Psalm chapter 23, verse 1, where it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I will not be in want and I remind myself that if this is what I want and God knows this is what I want and he will give it to me because the Lord is my shepherd and I will not be in want of anything and I said okay God when you think I need this when I want this you will give it to me because you are my shepherd amen when things are good as dead in your life you can speak Romans 4 17 where it says the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not you know call into being things that are not into your life and God will make it happen and you will see it happen and they will start working to speak the right word you need to at the right time you need to learn read God's word not only read God's word but also meditate on it and not only meditate on it memorize it so that you can declare and profess it over your life over your situation that seems like that dead bones over, or over your giants. And lastly, you know, um, as an assurance to Israel's restoration and God's promise to restore Israel, God, was, God gave Ezekiel this promise that he was not going to restore the Israelites only physically back to their own land, he was not only just going to restore his relationship with the Israelites, but he was also going to spiritually restore them. 
And God says, I will pour out my spirit on you. In Ezekiel chapter 37, we see God asks Ezekiel to prophesy first, and the bones and the flesh and the skin come together. Then he asks him to prophesy, and the breath comes into them. And God tells him in Ezekiel chapter 37 verse 14, God tells him, I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. God not only promises to restore Israel back to their land. God not only promises to restore his relationship back with them, but he also promises spiritual restoration. He says, I will put my spirit in you. In the previous chapter, in Ezekiel chapter 36, we see God declaring, where God declares his hope and his restoration to the Israelites. He says in verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land that I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. Now what does God mean by saying when he will, that he will remove the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh? A heart of stone is a heart that is hardened by sin. A heart of stone is a heart that is hardened by sin and conformed in it. That is self-reliant, self-centered. That is death to the things of God. That is stubborn and inflexible. A heart that is corrupt in nature and filled with the desires of the flesh. Now this kind of heart cannot be removed by ourselves. This kind of heart cannot be removed by ministers of uh, the word of God. But only by the power and the grace of God. And God says, I will give you a heart of flesh. Now what is the meaning of a heart of flesh? A heart of flesh means a heart that is sensible to sin. A spiritual and a sanctified heart. A heart that is submissive to the will of God. A heart that is submissive to the commands of Christ. Where the laws of God are written. Where the word of God dwells richly. A heart that desires the things of God. And God says he will put a new spirit that is his own Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will change the heart of stone to the heart of flesh. The Holy Spirit will cause the individual to follow and to keep his decrees, his laws, his statutes, and ob observe his ordinances. What the law of Moses could not do to the Israelites, the law of Moses could not help the Israelites to follow God and keep his statutes, his commands, and his ordinances. The Spirit of God will help them do it. Just like God restored the Israelites, even though they did not deserve restoration. Not only did God restore them physically, not only did God restore his relationship back with them and he said, I will shepherd them with compassion, God also spiritually restored them. And it was only by his amazing grace and his love. This morning, God wants to restore those of you who are weary. Those of you who are broken, those of you who are depressed, those of you whose world has come to a virtual point of a standstill, those of you who are seeing situations that seems like dead bones, God is willing to restore you. But are you willing to cooperate? Are you willing to cooperate with God in his restoration process? Let's just pause for a minute of silence. Just respond to the word.
And if, this, if there is, what the Lord is speaking to us here is that if there are areas in our lives that are like dead bones, God wants to breathe on it. He wants to bring restoration, reviving. He wants to resurrect those areas of our life and put us back together. So as you see seated, you just take a few moments to pray and invite the Lord even into our own lives and say, God, here are areas of my life that I want you to breathe on. I want your spirit to move. Here are circumstances, here are situations in my life, Lord. But I want you to resurrect the dead bones. I invite you, Holy Spirit, to come. Bring life. Bring healing, bring restoration. Just take a few moments, please, just to pray. Father, we just welcome you. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, in this place this morning. Just to bring healing, bring reviving, bring restoration in our lives. And I, the Lord is responding to your prayer, and to your invitation as you invite him into your own life and saying, God, come breathe upon this area of my life where there are dead bones. The Lord is responding to it. His spirit will move into your circumstances, into your areas of life. Father, we just thank you for what you're doing in our midst. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to continue to work in our hearts, to continue to work in our lives and resurrect Bring life to those areas that seem dead. Speak life, O oh God, into those dry bone areas and bring life. We give you thanks, O oh God. We give you praise. We give you honor, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Let's take a moment just to praise God. Just say, God, I just thank you that you are God who's working in my life. You're resurrecting, Lord, the dry bone areas. Nothing is impossible. Lord, we give you thanks. We give you praise for the work of your Holy Spirit in every area of our lives. We give you thanks. We give you praise, Father. Let the breath of your Spirit just blow in every area of our lives. Let there be life. Let there be life. And we give you thanks, O oh God. We give you thanks. We give you thanks, O oh God. We praise you, we honor you. Thank you for your work in our midst. Thank you, Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. And lift up His countenance on you. And give you His peace. In Jesus' name. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.